Clicking up, oh, clicking buttons. It's been clicked. Such click has happened. Yes. I have clicked thus. The movie click? Click? Adam Sandler getting all sad and shit? I haven't seen <gasps> that movie. Is that... I thought the premise was uh, remote control. Yeah, he gets the remote <laughs> control that allows him to speed up time. That's a waste of time. Buzz. Dan, did you just say that my life has been a waste of time because I haven't watched Click? <laughs> That's rude. No, I'm saying that watching Click is a waste of time. Don't waste your life. I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. And we're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they still hold up. And I added an extra word there, but I don't know why. This week, we burn rubber through the sewer in a duck by watching the movie Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. This time, we ate fish while running for mayor. By watching Batman Returns. <laughs> this time, <laughs> we put on our Matrix outfit before the Matrix was even a thing by watching Batman Returns. And then do a bunch of impossible backflips trying to figure out what is happening in this movie. Bending over <laughs> backward to en- try well, to figure out where the plot's going. Oh, there is plot. Ooh. We will get into it. <laughs> so, uh... I wanna I wanna start with Andy's history with this movie because you've in, you are the inspiration why we did this movie this week. So I feel like I'm gonna come to regret that. <laughs> yeah. Can you need a sad trombone. Uh, for me, this is my Batman. This is I don't know out of out of the Burton Batmans. This is my favorite. I feel like stylization wise, it hit all the strides in the right right foot. Um. For me, this is the one that I always come back to. This is the one that I remember fondly from my childhood. This is the one that just, for some reason, stands out. And I'll get into that later as to why I think it does. But, yeah, this is my most watched one. I've said it in the previous episode. The original Batman, I go back to it. And it's almost like every time I watch it, I like it a little bit less. Which makes me feel bad. But this one, every time I watch it, I like it more. It's the exact opposite. And... I have so many reasons into that. I have so many things to say about it, but I'll, I'll save all that. Good, because I have nothing good to say about this movie. <laughs> and everything that you just spoke of, I am of the opposite feeling. I hate this movie. This should be interesting. This I really do not like this movie. <laughs> so you're back in your old world yep. there, Dan. Oh, yeah, the I, I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to be this, this way, but, oh, man. I have so little to talk about when when it comes to the goods of this movie. But what's your history with um, it, Dan? It's definitely a Batman. Like I do get this in the original Batman confused when I go to watch either because it's it's set within the same. I guess maybe it's because it's set within the same time period, and there's like no real differentiation as to when the events of the first Batman happened. Really, because they don't really reference it. So it just feels like this Batman is just a continuation of the first, the original Batman. Right. This this definitely happens after the first movie because he uh, does address the fact that Vicky's no longer in this movie. Oh, yes. really? I yep. don't even, I didn't even realize. It was during one of the uh, boring date scenes again where <laughs> uh, she's trying, where he brings up Vicky and like, yeah, that's, that's a wonderful 
Wonderful date tip from Michael Keaton. Bring up past girlfriends. Bring up exes. But hey, you have to give him credit, though, because every Bond movie ever, has he ever talked about the last girl he was with? No. You're just supposed to forget them entirely. Yeah. Daniel Craig, (laughs) he's all about that Vespa still. Oh, sure, sure. He's about a scooter. I'm not sure which. I don't know. It was was much to the point that they made fun of it so heavily in uh, Austin Powers because it is ridiculous. It's just everybody's so disposable after the movie that they're in. (laughs) They're supposed to be be conquests. They're not anything else. That's why I like this because they actually bring up Vicky in, in some random light versus just trying to pretend that the character never existed oh this is a new movie so we can't talk about who he was with in the last one no they they just casually mention a little bit very slightly that's it it. definitely brings uh it it lets you uh center where this movie is existing in time kind of yeah yeah uh my history with the movie i didn't watch it till like 2008 or 9 or something like that at the time i had a boss who was all about this movie and how gritty and dark it was so i was like i better watch it and i wasn't impressed then and i still eh but i mean yeah it's it's a fine movie how about you joe do you have history uh yeah well you know i was there in the theater to see the first one when it came out so when this one came out i i can't say i went to the theater to see it because i'm not sure but i do remember it not hitting the same cues that the first movie did with me that even though the first one was a little bit goofy, that it was comic booky, a little campy, it felt, I'm going to say, a little bit more real than this one. I've heard that. This I've one that. went into, obviously, circus land, <laughs> and it just went a little bit further than I guess I was willing to go with it, and I kind of just watched it once and said, meh, and moved on. I don't believe this. You guys are meant to, or Joe, at least you, Joe, you were meant to defend me against these characters, and the only one I've got on my side is a bloodsucking <laughs> It's not that I didn't like the movie, it just, it was not what I wanted out of it, I guess, at the time. I don't know what I wanted out of the Batman movie at that time, but I I felt like it got too silly in this. You're one. silly, too silly. <laughs> this movie, I, there was a couple of points of silliness which made me howl with laughter as how stupid it was. However, this movie could have been served as a breakfast field breakfast food in the South. It's so gritty. Ooh, Ooh I like that one. I like that one a lot. I'm going to have to use that more. (laughs) And I'll clarify my position here a little bit. In my life of how I responded to movies, I think this was the time period in my life I started to get more, like, quote-unquote, serious about how I was taking in films and stuff like that and wanted to ingest more... uh, Deep films? adult deep interesting developing kind of stories and this wasn't that and i'm gonna say it i was probably a little bit of an asshole when it came to what i wanted to see out of things back then i I mean i'm not that way anymore (laughs) i like a good popcorn movie now (laughs) yeah so then are you you ready to describe this movie yes i was gonna say but If you have not seen the 1992 Batman Returns, here is a little summation. 
we still have Gotham. Gotham's grown up just a teeny tiny bit in that it still looks exactly the same, but slightly more modern than the last time we were there. And this time, people are having mutant babies. So, watch out, Gotham. This time we're talking about the mutant babies. I don't know. They probably had mutant babies before that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they already had them. It's fine. But... Pedan tree is fun. Again, the grandeur of the city, of it being so industrial era expansion with modern elements. Cool. But we have an examination of the throwaway society, I guess, where if you don't like it, don't want it, you just toss it into the gigantic sewers <laughs> and it'll just disappear. But then come back 33 years later and run from air and then drool everywhere and spit <sighs> everywhere. Also, it's a lesson in how to not treat people who are below you in the service industry or just uh, corporate worlds. That you should be very nice to them and not throw them out windows because <laughs> it'll come back. It always comes back. That, that's our level of respect, huh? Don't throw your employees out the, win- out the window. Yep. Bare minimum, if you are going to have employees, do not throw them out the window. But uh, as always, Batman punches, kicks, <laughs> and runs over the community to save the day. Blows up a guy. He does immolate a clown. <laughs> it's fine. They weren't using them anyway. My favorite part of, because remembering what Rothy said uh, last show about how many murders there are in these films, mm-hmm. was watching the Batmobile just plow through <laughs> crowds of people. I love watching the bodies flail off of it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. The stunt people doing damn good work being hit by this vehicle and <laughs> tumbling off to the side i was like whoa i don't remember that anyway i'm getting ahead of myself uh two bad guys (laughs) technically three bad guys but one is so weak of a bad guy that it's like meh it's like a neutral guy who leans bad wait you're saying shrek is the you're talking about shrek yeah I thought you were saying catwoman no because she's she's, chaotic she's she's just she's just out for chaos and the batman's stopping the chaos so that's the only reason why she wants to stop the batman i i don't necessarily see her as a evil character in this movie more of a chaotic presence that is used by the evil people yeah and it's it's a mirror to show how batman could have been developed by his parents being killed yeah in this case she's the i'm gonna murder (laughs) My way to revenge. And he's like, nah, 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 nah. I'm gonna help the police for revenge. Because yes. I'm the world's greatest detective. And Cobblepot's gonna eat fish for revenge. <laughs> but yeah, Shrek is a really good uh, evil person. You, you can just call him straight evil. Because sure, he does, uh, you can do finger quotes good by... You know, whatever putting up a stupid lidded tree in town square or whatever he's supposedly doing but he's really only doing that to save put on some sort of public face so he can continue to do whatever evil stuff he wants to do in the background although the evil stuff he wants to do in the background is one kill his secretary and two siphon energy from gotham and this is probably i don't I, I know we're not trying to jump into weak stuff but i'm here it's weak because batman comes throws 
the uh, report across the desk and says, we have too much power. Why are you making, why do you want to make more power? Shrek is trying to make a giant capacitor, which stores power. Probably they didn't go too deep into it, but like they, he probably wants to suck up all the power and then sell that back. However, if there's an extra power glut, having some batteries around to save up some of that power that you're making might be a good idea or, you know, spend less money on creating power. Yeah, is it such a bad idea to have a UPS for the entire city? <laughs> exactly. We should also ver- uh, clarify that Shrek is not Shrek. No, 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 he's Shrek. He's not an ogre. He doesn't live in a swamp. You don't know that. He's played by Christopher Walken. Yeah, but Christopher Walken has layers like an onion. <laughs> and I do believe I remember that characters in Shrek had spells put on them to not look like ogres. Ooh. Including Shrek. Yeah. So you don't know that he's not an ogre. I... Fine. Fair. <laughs> he certainly did not find his princess princess in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I did. She she fell a real long distance. I will say I did get confused in the middle of our last recording because when I heard Andy start mentioning Shrek <laughs> and then Ken mentioned Donkey, I had no clue what was going on. Yeah. How do we make the jump to Shrek? <laughs> and then I started watching the movie and then I chuckled. This time around, I'm like, ah, that's yep, why. Yep, yep. Sometimes you just got to sit there and not think about what what he's saying and just go with it. What? Um, <laughs> what? And so, and so I might not have understood Shrek being the bad guy as well until I was watching this movie, but I just kind of went with it and forgot that that happened. <laughs> it worked. Anyway, uh, things I did like about this movie. Uh, did it get, well, that's just questions. I don't know whether or not I like it. Did it get dirtier there? Like nasty dirty or yeah like i know the zoo burned down which is <laughs> oh i thought you meant like sexy dirty no 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 it definitely didn't get sexy dirty. yes it did, it did you had cat woman she was in a outfit nope 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 uh talking about the town the town was not in an outfit unless the outfit was covered in grime was the first movie this grimy <laughs> i think so uh yeah, it's it's hard to say. So famously, Warner Brothers paid a lot of money and spent a lot of effort restoring and preserving the original sets from the first Batman movie in case there was ever a sequel. And when Burton came back, he did not want to have anything to do with the first movie huh. as far as to actually say, can we just forget the first movie even happened? Because he wasn't about repeating <laughs> himself. Yeah, he didn't want to repeat himself. So like Speaking a sequel. It's 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 well, a, what? I appreciate the sh- I appreciate the shit out of that though because I think the world was a better place when everything wasn't so pre-planned and so cookie cutter. And I've seen this echoed on a couple of uh review sites that I, I read about this just to see where other people's heads were lined in. The consensus is nowadays when you have a sequel, everything is locked, everything is set. There's literally no deviation whatsoever, whereas back in the day when you had sequels to even big blockbuster movies like this, it wasn't guaranteed you're getting the same thing when they did a sequel. And I think it was better creatively for that. If you also look at things like completely unrelated, but Futurama and Simpsons, when Fox wanted another show from Matt Groening, they paid a crap ton of money and basically just said, this is the Simpsons guy. He's going to make us another Simpsons show. And they got Futurama. Matt Groening got to do what he wanted to do based off of something that he loved so much. And that's why the show worked so well because it was... Obviously, tons and tons of nerds pouring stuff in that they actually cared about and wanted to make a great show off of based off of their own interests. 
versus Fox was angry because they didn't get a cookie cutter replacement for the Simpsons that was exactly the same essentially just different so I appreciate that aspect a lot a lot a lot but yeah I don't know it's uh <laughs> it's 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 the same but I think the colors just kind of shifted instead of being brown and muddy and whatnot from the first movie it's more blue gray and steel I think for me the winter is my favorite part about the new setting uh, the snow really just kind of gives it that extra little, like, character punch. I, I don't know what it is about it, but it's a great Christmas movie now, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was going to ask, is this more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard? Yes! I mean, you got trees, you got, you got everything in this. It's 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 all about a capitalist turned industrialist. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> it's the perfect Christmas movie. But, yeah, um, I don't know. The, the, the city seems just about the same. I think the differentiator for me is not the difference in the city per se. I feel that this movie is more Tim Burton than the original Batman. And Absolutely. you see that in the music. You see that in the stylization. And you see that with everything. And that goes back to what I said about the sequel. Because Warner Brothers begged Tim Burton repeatedly to come back and do another one, but he didn't want to. So when he did come back, he had full and complete creative control. He could do whatever the hell he wanted to to make this movie. And I feel like that's why I like it so much. Because it's not cookie cutter. It's not just a sequel with all the same hits and beats. It's more personality oozing from every single tiny little crevice, I guess. That's that's just me, though. But I, I think that's the big differentiator. The original one was very much studio heavy. And that's why it looked the way it did. It looked like Metropolis mixed with blah, blah, blah and things like that. This one, you got your weird crooked ass buildings you got here. Um, you got your zoo like you are talking about. Like the Gotham... Uh, ice whatever it is like everything's just tilted and crazy and dead trees everywhere and stuff like that you got the wayne manor which is just clearly this weird ass looking tall overly tall mansion <laughs> it's just like it's <laughs> it's that typical tim burton style so i wouldn't say it's necessarily dirtier i would say it's got more character maybe i disagree there's more going on there's too much <laughs> going on <laughs> that's a really flowery way of saying yeah there's a little bit more dirt on the scene yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> i i prefer the way you said it this film and the way burton did it makes me very happy that he never got to make a superman movie because i have no idea what that would have looked like yeah it would look like that the been, superman whoa. from 2010 it would have no color. Even post Batman with Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the way Superman movies are supposed to be, which is why I don't like the 2010, 2015, whatever the hell it was, Superman reboot that they did. Oh, because because Warner Brothers saw how popular Dark Knight was, so they're like they put a fucking hey, awful Zack Snyder make it dirty and dirty dark, dark filter on it. <laughs> yep. I have a I have a an internet rip of it that somebody like edited the the saturated yeah Yeah. and it looks so much better it does and they added like the superman theme in when he when he's flying coming down like oh my god that that's the problem the new superman movies lost sight of what the character was and all they tried to do is replicate the success of the franchise of the dark knight set before it all they cared about was money all they cared about was getting people in what and they looked at it were like well dark knight was dark and gritty that's what people want let's make superman dark and gritty 
That's not what that's people want. Not what Superman's <laughs> Superman. supposed to. No, that's not what's supposed to. Be. Yeah, it's a different character. Ah, it's like if you took Spider Man and made Spider Man dark and brooding just because The Dark Knight was a great movie. They did that with Spider Man Three. They did that with Spider Man Three. No, then no, they saw the MCU and said, "Let's make the DC universe like the MCU because that's what people want." And then <laughs> Zack Snyder, Zack Snydered all over it. Yeah, Zack Snyder's good at it. Okay, so I like Zack Snyder. He's good at things. But the problem with Zack Snyder is he doesn't, he's got a problem getting to where he's going. Yes. Like the fight scenes, yeah, they're fine, but it really feels like some, and I've heard it described this way online, it feels like a kid playing in a sandbox with action figures. The set pieces don't make sense. They don't feel realistic. They don't feel natural. It's just like this massive arena cobbled out of something that you have two things smacking against each other until one dies. (laughs) That's really... (laughs) It's... But not just any kid in a sandbox. A kid in the sandbox who knows he has to make this uh, play session last for two hours, <laughs> so he makes everything slow-mo just in case he runs out of ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, Tim Burton was going to make a Superman, and he cast... Nicholas Cage! Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Which would have been another not-great choice for... Whoo. It would have been a dumpster that. fire. I mean, I, I part of me would like that. to see this train wreck, <laughs> but the other part of me knows better. <laughs> let's not get too distracted by other DC train wrecks. <laughs> and let's concentrate on how many backflips there are mm. in this movie mm. and how people use flipping for their basic mode of transportation. Flip out about There's this? a lot of flips. It's what happens when you hire the cast of Cirque du Soleil to do your movie. <laughs> I was watching this the first time wondering uh, if the clowns came first or the flipping came the first. Come first. <laughs> and then I realized that they're like, okay, we need we got the penguin in the sewer. He needs to not be the only human down there. So we need to throw some other misfits down there. So let's just take a abandoned circus and throw it down there. And what does abandoned circuses do? They flip. See, and that's that's my one gripe <laughs> with this movie is that out of all the flipping, you don't see the penguin flip. Oh, he offers a flen- French flipper trick, though. Oh, yes, yes, but that's not a flip. Mm. I'd like to see him do a cartwheel. Mm. I want to see his skeletal system and how his body is the way it is and why. I. It's so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's fascinating. I love everything about his character. I think for me, and I'm probably very alone on this, unless there's some internet friends who have some things to say, but... I feel like Danny DeVito's Penguin is absolutely incredible. I will hold that position until I see the Robert Pattinson Batman with... Oh, yeah, playing, for sure, for sure. It, who's playing Penguin? Uh, eyebrow guy. Colin Farrell? Yeah, Colin Farrell. Colin, Colin Farrell. Farrell. Is it Colin Farrell? Yeah, Colin Farrell. It's Holy literally shit. a Penguin. It's Colin Farrell, yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh my god, that's gonna be cool. Wasn't the original plan to have Philip Seymour Hoffman play uh, Penguin and I think nolan's trilogy oh but then hoffman what obviously wow. died i i that remember hearing interesting that, yeah. i need to confirm but this. no i um and he looks the part yeah but no i mean i absolutely devito's penguin for me is such an amazing fit and it's such an amazing character to me personally and i know this is really terrible to say because i didn't feel this way five years ago ten years ago i think it's better performance and i think it's a better fit than nicholson's joker was <gasps> i feel like the 89 batman was still too closely tied to the 66 show it had its dark brooding yes it had its character development yes but i feel like some of the zany bits and some of some of the just the core dna still was trying to be like let's take the 66 show and make it a little bit darker whereas this was finally that the full jump 
So this movie was its own thing. And it's like, okay, well, why not? Let's have the penguin be a creepy ass, like deformed human being with all this crazy shit. That's cool. And, you know, you start putting in that stuff. That's Tim Burton at his best. That's why I like this one compared to the 89 Batman, because the 89 Batman still feels like a commercialized pot or commercialized uh, package that was meant to go to somebody specifically. Whereas this felt like a movie that somebody made. This doesn't like, feel like Batman, I'm going though. to see this movie. In ways it does, in ways it doesn't. Comparatively, it does not. The way I've heard it described online is it is the anti-blockbuster movie, and I couldn't agree more. No, that's probably why <laughs> so, I don't like it. To me, my, my big thing is for this movie, this feels the most like Batman the Animated Series. And I think that's why I love it so damn much. Because it feels like somebody literally took Batman the Animated Series and somehow turned it into live action... And it's got all that same, just uh, everything about it. The same beats, everything. It just feels like a, I don't, I don't know, a live action packaged version of that. It's fantastic. I just feel like the first movie suffered too so much from the fact that the character was facing burnout. People were kind of getting sick of Batman. Nobody really cared anymore. That's why the '89 Batman was huge because it rejuvenated the franchise. So of course you had all these people coming out of the woodworks like, oh my god, Batman's dark and brooding now. But in comparison to what? in comparison to the 66 Batman. Whereas this, it's like everybody's already on the hook for, it was a little bit darker. This is Batman at its darkest. And I love that about this movie. But ironically, like I said in the last one, it's at its darkest visually, but ethically, the first movie has more deaths. (laughs) It has Batman (laughs) killing more people. It has, uh... You know, Batman gets more opportunities to murder in that movie. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just um, in this movie, it feels more like it feels more like Batman is almost like in a depressive state. Whereas in the first movie, he's like ready to kick ass. He's he's getting out there. But this one, it feels like he's almost in a state where it's like he's brooding a little bit more. He's a little bit more depressed. He's a little bit more on his own. And that's what makes it more interesting for me because he's on screen less. So when he does show up, it really matters. My favorite juxtaposition is the Batman 89. You have Batman in the first, what, five minutes in the movie, not even? You have him coming down fighting the guys on the on the rooftop? This movie, I love the way it opens, and it still makes me happy to this day. I love that you have that whole opening scene with everything going on, with the Penguin, with, you know, Mom and Dad, toss him over a bridge, all that good stuff, going down the sewer and everything. You don't even hear the Batman theme in a rendition or a way until it's well into the sewer and the Batman logo unfolds itself. Versus the first movie where you have the Danny Elfman theme just blaring over like close-up shots of the of the symbol as they as they move around it and pan around it, right in the very beginning of the movie as it starts. The first movie's all about this is Batman! Batman's back! This one is more about it's it's a movie you're gonna see Batman, but buckle up for the ride. And that's what I like. I appreciate that so much more. <laughs> That's that's my tangent on my own. He's so positive about this movie. It makes me I am, sad. I will, I will die on this hill. <laughs> I can appreciate the positive, positive looks at this. I, I see where you're I coming mean, from. I can. Yeah, like, I see where you're coming from. I get it. I understand. But this isn't Batman. It is, but it isn't. This is a movie that starts out feeling like it's supposed to be about Batman's enemies, and then they stick mm-hmm. Batman in there, and he doesn't know what the hell he's doing in this movie. I've heard that echoed online. There's there's people who say that he was more obsessed with villains in this movie than he was with Batman himself. Burton has actually publicly denounced that and said that's absolutely not true. 
And one of the things that I also read online of why people kind of didn't expect this movie, and you make a good point of that, Dan, is everything changed. The setting of Gotham, it looks different. I mean, the the characters themselves are pretty much the same, yes. But you have a change in the bat suit. You have a change in... Batmobile? Um, typically the effects. The bat cave? Batmobile is... No, the Batmobile is literally the one thing that people say is the only grounding point jumping from 89 to this one. Oh, no, no, no. The Batmobile is the one familiar the Batmobile thing. Batmobile in, in 89 is six tires. No, remember that one time where Batman goes on the zip line and he decides to uh, hook it up to his bat back so he could hold up both of his arms? Yeah. That's the grounding thing. He does his stupid Batman pose with yeah. his cape out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. He must have really strong shoulders. He's always holding his arms up. Anyway, he does have strong shoulders. He yeah. picks up two full-grown adults and smashes them their heads together. Yeah, he does. He does. And he punches through uh, the bat, the bottom of the Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 one of the ludicrous scenes to me. Is he punches through his armored Batmobile's floor <laughs> to grab the th- okay? But anyways, that'll go in the bad stuff. So this movie posits <laughs> that Batman is a true superhero with super strength. No, he, he's just a man who knows Krav Maga, or he knows where the, or he keeps a punch out in his car that only he knows where it is. Conveniently, right next to the transponder. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, music. <laughs> Uh, okay, when, when we, <laughs> oh, yeah. we, if we're getting into the music, there is, in the scene where they introduce the penguin as a bad guy, yeah. there is a 10 second just little clip of the movie where you can hear the Nightmare Before Christmas music. Hmm. And this movie came out a year before Nightmare Nightmare did. Nightmares stop motion, so they were yeah. working on it at the same time. They had yeah. to. And I wouldn't put it past Elfman and, and Burton to put an Easter egg in like that. This being the only good point that I that I, I wrote down. <laughs> okay, I, I hate saying this. I, I hate saying this because I, I seriously feel like I'm shitting all over Batman 89, even though I like and love Batman 89. I, I've always loved that movie. It's just as I get older and have a more critical eye, I find less to like about it personally. Batman 89 had Prince for the soundtrack. I love Prince. Did it fit Batman? No, not at all. Some some scenes, sure. But yeah, for the most part, it sounded really like it wasn't even at the forefront. You didn't really have music. It just sounded like somebody was softly playing something in the background, essentially. This movie, every single scene is absolutely stolen from Danny Elfman's soundtrack. And it just sounds so unbelievably good. You have so much difference in every single scene with the characters, with the settings. Everything plays off of Danny Elfman's score, and it's incredible. That is one of the biggest things I love about this movie, is the music, and that's a huge part for me, actually feels like a character of the movie. I said the same thing about Ghostbusters. With that score, with Elmer Bernstein's score, it sounds like a character of itself. Without that music, the movie feels weird and flat. Same with this one. Without this music, without Danny Elfman's score, basically all through, all the way through, and without the Christmas theme mixing with that and the snow and everything else, it's just it's so perfect. I don't know how I'd feel about this. It's like taking John Williams out of I don't know Hook, taking John Williams out of you know Jurassic Park. It's just yeah, it's the same, but it's it's not. So I, I don't know. That's that's like the biggest hands down biggest thing for this movie for me is the score, and that's why I think it sets it apart tonally for me from the 89 batman personally that's probably the biggest reason i can put it as to why i like that you picked hook 
Out of all the John Williams' favorite biggest things, like well, I was just trying to think of whimsy and Hook's got you know snow. Oh, okay. Hook is a Christmas movie yeah. too. You have snow in London. You have you know the, the... taking John John Williams out of you know Home Alone. I don't even know if he was in that movie. No, he was actually. I think it was Hans Zimmer, but that would be very Hans funny. Zimmer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, like you you p- picking the most obvious uh, John Williams reference. Hook. No, I was just thinking Snow, and the first thing that popped in my head is the scene in London at the end of Hook where uh, Carrie Fisher and George Lucas make out on the bridge and float away. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's, that's uh, you know, I, I don't know. Like, just, there's so many scenes that I can remember and I have such a nostalgia for just because of the freaking music. And without the music in the scenes, it, it means nothing to me. I can tell you right now, and I am... Again, not trying to shit on it because I love the movie. There's not a single scene in all of Batman 89 that I could pick out and tell you what happened from that scene with just the music alone. The only one that I could possibly do is when they're on the parade floats and Prince is playing. That's the only one I think I could really do. Oh, sure. There's not a single other scene where I'm like, oh yeah, that song's from this part. Or yeah, that song's from this part. I could You might do be it. able to pick out the uh, where they're vandalizing the, uh, yeah. the thing, which is yeah. also like another Prince part, I guess. I guess. Those two would probably be the only things that I could probably pick out. The rest of it, I couldn't. This soundtrack, I could tell you exactly what happens for every single scene that I'm hearing it from. Same thing with Jurassic Park. Same thing with Hook. Same thing with all the other ones that utilize music as a character for the movie and that's one of the things that feels like lost nowadays (laughs) i feel like music is an afterthought and that is one of the reasons why the magic is kind of ripped away and that's why movies like this i can still beat for beat tell you what happens just based off listening to the soundtrack because it's that important but i don't know rant over (laughs) i i have a lot to rant about i guess that's fine (laughs) it's actually really good insight i haven't paid attention that much to music lately and perhaps that's you know the difference is back then we're a little bit more in tune with everything and paying a little bit more attention and making those kind of connections. Yeah, you're feeling it all at once. And you also have seen this movie a lot more than the original, I'm guessing, as well. I would say up until five, ten years ago, I'd seen them both equally. And then Batman Returns, I started watching more frequently, like maybe once every couple of years. Okay. Because I love the so first one. So not that one. much more. I love the first one. I just, as I've been watching them more and more, the second one's really kind of stood out and stood the test of time if you will for me and i feel like that's kind of unfair too because i feel like with it being 1992 yeah we were getting right into that cusp of uh you know cgi finally becoming a thing that wasn't just an afterthought so i mean the details the bat armor on the batmobile looks better than it did in the, in the 89 one the flying batarang looked pretty good and still holds up no i thought no it did. i thought it absolutely did. not the batarang swings around Punches the person in the face, pulls back, and goes to the next face. Punches it in the face, pulls back. Did you guys watch in 4K, though? Did you guys watch in 4K, or no. did you guys watch it down? Okay. I don't know. I watched it in the original 1990s graininess. Okay. So maybe that's where all the grittiness comes from, was literal film grain. Well, no, even beyond that, I'm talking about the visual fidelity of the effect versus the goofiness of what the battering did. So yes, the effect of the battering punching and then and then moving on to the next target was goofy, yes. But if it blended with the scene, I thought it blended with the scene really well and didn't look out of place. Like it, that's it, fair, I'll yeah. give you that. Like it didn't. I, I, yeah, can, it I didn't can agree look to like that. A weird. It didn't look like some. It didn't look like somebody was hand painting a bunch of animate animated yes, cells. Yes. In in not the right refresh rate. <laughs> exactly. Frame exactly. rate. Like that's that's janky. the word I was looking for. Frame rate. Yeah. 
It wasn't janky. It didn't have a glow about it. It didn't look like it wasn't supposed to be there. It actually looked great. The The effect of it, though, yeah, that's goofy, but that's that's a completely different avenue to take because that's a director's effect. That's what he wanted to see, have it do versus the visual effects of actually having it in the movie on screen. You think they just made a fidget spinner and punched people in the face? <laughs> I, I don't know. That would be pretty crazy if they had fidget spinners uh, that that far to twinkle of an eye that back in the 90s. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I feel like it's an unfair assessment and I feel like I shouldn't even be bringing it up because it's so unfair to compare this movie to that movie of, of the visual effects. But we did it to Indiana Jones too. Right. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of Lost Ark. It doesn't really have any bad matte paintings. That movie looks great. There's maybe like one or two scenes that maybe look like 5% iffy, but still the movie's great overall. You get to Temple of Doom and that bridge scene with the alligators. Holy shit. Amazing. It's amazingly bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say the same about this because you know what? Yeah, it's unfair. Batman Returns was right at the cusp of getting CGI and having more effects going that route, but I'm going to look at it the same way as Indiana Jones and it realistically is only three years later than the original Batman. And Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom was what, like two, three, four years past the original Indiana Jones? So I'm taking an unfair assessment and making it fair, I guess. Batman Returns has the Wilhelm screen. It does. It does. My son heard that. He's like, I don't wonder why they use that all the time. So I had to explain it. (laughs) (laughs) It is one of the things that you don't notice until somebody points it out to it. And then every time somebody uses it, you're like, oh my God. There's the Wilhelm (laughs) screen. There it is. It's so corny. Yup, yup. This is such a great inside joke. And the thing is, <laughs> if we compare that to the American Express scene from the first movie, Ooh. I don't feel as pulled out of Batman Returns with the Wilhelm scream, even that, though yeah, it I can, is I can agree to that. just as dumb of an addition to the scene. But I feel that Batman Returns embraces that kind of stuff better yeah. than trying to pull the real world into that first movie because it's so obviously not the real world. I don't nope. know. Yeah. <laughs> so for more things that we like, I, I really did, like Rothi was saying, uh, Danny DeVito really embodied the Penguin. In fact, I feel like a lot of them embodied their character really well. Catwoman was amazing. Not just the costume, but like the fractured brain of falling off a building just the character models the characters themselves in this movie were pretty great the only problem i have with characters is uh shrek's hair oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean there's there's reason for that the thing i made a note about this was that the characters feel a lot more disheveled in a negative every character in this movie does looks like they ha- are wearing ill-fitting clothes that's the style though yep. of tim burton didn't i didn't notice it as much in the first one though yeah because you he didn't have well, that guess, yeah because like andrew was saying is that it was more of a studio product before he was reined in this one is what happens when you let Tim Burton get whatever he wants. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and then you get, like, this is still in the things I like category. You get the ridiculous scene where penguins stand on either side of the penguin and drag them into the toxic ooze sewer <laughs> oh. stuff. They're not even touching them. They're just walking next to them. It's amazing. I love that one. I got so focused on their feet. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I think for me, it's... It's a selfish viewpoint, yes, but it's it's an honest viewpoint because it's it's the director. I feel like this is the most Tim Burton-y Batman movie, and it's the most Tim Burton style movie. So it's like an Edward Scissorhands Batman movie. It's like a it's like when he has his full creative control and he can do whatever the hell he wants, 
this is like up there on that freaking pedestal for me for his movies. So without studio involvement, that's, that's, yeah, it's what we got and that's what I like, but I get why people would say this isn't a Batman movie. And you know, uh, Tim Burton has his looks and his feels, all how he does movies. And like, you can easily point that out, but then there's also some of the camera things that he does. That is, uh, I, I took a film class, so this is going to be one of those kind of stupid film things that they talk about in those <laughs> things. But, uh, there's there's a scene where Batman's talking to the Catwoman. It's at the end of the movie. I can't exactly remember what they're talking about, but every single shot of Batman is a still shot where he's calm, collected, and trying to convince her, trying to be the rock, the not moving idea. And then they cut over to Catwoman, and she's kind of still, but the background is doing this crazy, like, jittery stuff. Like, she's trying to figure out what the hell she wants to do, all super confused, uh, chaotic in her head type stuff. And it's just a real uh, classic cinema directorial choice to put that in there. And so like, even with like the Tim Burton aesthetic being what it is, and some people might think it's corny or whatever, like he still has some of those directorial things that he throws in there to make it like an actual film that's speaking. One of the notes that I made was the cinematography of this one. I liked a lot of the shots and I feel like the shots were better handled in this movie. Like uh, hands down, one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Catwoman and, and Penguin are, across each other from the birdcage spiraling around yes that is a great scene i love that i love that's the, so the good. framing of that i love the the switch between the two such a damn good scene and there's a lot of that in this movie there's less wacky angles and there's more really artsy shots like like really really well done like planning and, and like like pre-planning of how how it's going to look after you shoot it versus just shooting on a whim from what the first one kind of looked like yeah or like the very end of the movie where you uh where they're panning out and they start panning up through the city and you get to the matte paintings it's like transitioning from the actual gotham to back to the comic book being like hey here's this throwback to the comic books yeah and it looks good it looks really good and it just felt like a really good send-off to this movie it did it did I like the penguins. <laughs> the penguins the are The animatronic so ones or the real ones? I love all the penguins. Or the people in costumes. I love all the penguins. <laughs> Every penguin. Penguins with rocket launchers. Just, oh. <laughs> I wanted to, that's like one of the main things that I wanted to take in watching this movie again was to see what I would think about these penguins. And I love it. <laughs> because... You have all sorts of products here. You have actual penguins, small penguins, large penguins. They're real. Then you have puppet penguins that are not moving all that great, but are filling space. <laughs> and then you have costume as penguins, which what? gets a little weird. But if you're filling space, it works. It's not until the end where you start going, all right, now this is a little ridiculous, but yeah, it's by that point in time, there's been so much ridiculous stuff already. You've been worn down. I'm on board for penguins with rockets on their back. That's a wonderful and, and wonderful end game idea. You can you can think and and I love 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 love. Okay, so I was going to I was going to mention this before when you were talking about the uh, the effects on the penguin. The reason why this movie stands out for me too is because obviously it has a bigger budget and he had more creative control. Stan Winston comes galloping in on their horse to do all the effects for this movie. Yep. And it shows. <laughs> and that's actually one of the best one of the best parts. Crash McCreary 
For those who don't know all the craziness about Stan Winston Studios, Crash McCreary was one of the absolute freaking best conceptual artists, and he did a majority of what made Jurassic Park Jurassic Park. Before they even knew they were going to get the license for Jurassic Park, before they even knew that they were actually going to be doing it, uh, he just basically was told, just draw like, you know, we have it. So he just started pouring crap on paper. He is responsible, directly responsible for all of the ways that the dinosaurs look in the movie in terms of just the change from slow lumbering beasts and lizards to, you know, them being more bird-like and actually doing things that they're supposed to do, like running and crap like that. So that the tie to that is guess who designed the penguins for this movie? Crash McCreary. He's the one who did some sketches. He did a sketch of a penguin with a freaking flamethrower on its back. And that's what actually, <laughs> that's what evolved into the rocket launcher. So yeah. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> I'm so sad that we didn't have a flamethrower penguin. Right? <laughs> oh my god! That's fantastic! Uh, isn't it adorable? I don't know. Thank I god it. for the internet. <laughs> oh I love my Crash McCreary's work so much. It, he's he's always been one of my absolute favorite artists because he just designs the most amazing things. <laughs> I didn't uh, know I needed this in my life. Right? I love the goggles. The goggles sell it for me. Absolutely. <laughs> And they got little candy cane stripes on the thing to keep it with the <laughs> Christmas aesthetic. Yup, yup. And now with the penguins, when they have the big pep talk, you know, the uh, the patent mo- moment for penguin pumping them up to go out and go to well, war. And kill themselves? Yeah, they have all these little helmets on with the little gadgets because they're being mind controlled. Mm-hmm. But then when you see them after that, they don't have them on because they're real penguins and you can't put those on real penguins. But for me, I'm sure back then I thought that was dumb and I could see that and was upset by that. But now I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't put a hat on a penguin. <laughs> like there's a there's a line where you can't cross with actual animals. Yeah. And I'm very happy to see that they had real animals in it, but that they respected the real animal and did not just, you know, glue shit to their head. <laughs> right. Joe, how do you feel about the Internet? <laughs> I mean, okay, mainly cats and dogs and pictures of people putting hats on their cats and dogs. How are they different than penguins? I don't care for people putting dresses and stuff on their animals. I I feel I know where you're going with this, this, uh, Joe. You appreciate the the humanity that we showed to filming penguins in this movie versus, let's say, Beastmaster in that horrid design. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 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 Okay. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, that wound was just starting to scab over. <laughs> it's it's back. It never it never stopped bleeding. <laughs> and eventually, the eagle ran out of blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's just <laughs> um dark, 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 Another dark. another positive in the same in the same vein as Penguin Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is still to this day accredited to being a huge huge role model for a lot of people. Not to mention the fact that it is such a freaking well-done character. She put everything into it that the 60s Catwoman had and more. And there's a reason why when people think about Catwoman, they typically think back to this. They don't think back to... Oh, Eartha Kit. Yeah. No, not her. Halle Berry. Not Halle Berry. No, the, the, I, I feel <laughs> terrible because I like her and I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. But the one it's from... It's the other Hathaway? one that I can't remember either. Anne Hathaway from... Yes, Anne Hathaway oh, from Nolan movies. I love you her, say, I forgot but that's about her. because of one scene and a sound effect. 
it's the leather squeak on the Batmobile or oh, on the Batbike. Sure. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. But that's just it. You you bring up Catwoman, and I can guarantee you that 90% of the time when you bring up Catwoman to somebody, when you're talking about Batwoman or Batman, one of the first things that pops in their head is either A, it's the suit. This Catwoman with Michelle Pfeiffer, or it's the Catwoman from the cartoon series. Those are the two most standout ones. I mean, yes, the 66 one also has a crap ton of fans, but. Michelle Pfeiffer really killed it with this role to the point where, yeah, the Holly Berry one, my God. We don't talk about Halle Berry as Catwoman. No, I'm I'm forever going to be disappointed in this because Michelle Pfeiffer always wanted to come back and do Catwoman and she was on the hook for if they did a spinoff. Well, as you know, with Hollywood, things take time and then some things get swept under the rug. The spinoff got continuously pushed under the rug yep. to the point where she was committed, hell. but it just never happened. Exactly. So when they finally decided to do it, they just said, screw it and recast and redid everything and brought in Halle Berry. And obviously we know it flopped. But to think that we could have had a spinoff Catwoman movie with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. I don't know if I would have liked sad. that, though. <laughs> oh, I would have loved it. Her, her mania <laughs> in this Batman fits the movie I don't know if I would mm-hmm. be able to handle a movie dedicated to her being the character. I couldn't handle her being that character because that character and that Catwoman was with uh, Halle Berry was just, it wasn't, hmm. I mean, it wasn't good. It wasn't it, Catwoman. It wasn't Cat, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was a Catwoman. They put the name on the movie and that's about it. They said, well, she's Catwoman. She must act like a cat. It was Halle Berry <laughs> in a skin suit being o- overly sexy. Uh-huh. That's not Catwoman. She would have been more in place in the movie Cats. <laughs> <laughs> My interpretation would be that after this movie, this version of Catwoman would change because they have this really weird nine lives concept that she apparently has in this movie. And she uses eight of those lives to kill Shrek, basically. And once she's done with that, her revenge story's over and she only has one life left. That's going to force that character to have to figure out their life again. I like that. Now, is it possible? Because her brain is probably that far fried and busted because I'm asking the question, I'm like, is she undead? Is she a high-functioning zombie? What What exactly is she? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a question that's not answered, doesn't need to be answered because it's a goofy comic book movie. No, she's a cat god, breathed to life with cat breath. But it's like she has the opportunity after this movie to develop. Yeah. But we don't know because it's yeah, not part happened. of the story of this movie. And and that's okay, so not to get too crazy out in the weeds, but it, it goes beyond what we got with the Holly Berry one. I, I found the best synopsis I could of what was proposed for the spinoff of Michelle Pfeiffer, and it sounds uh, so much freaking better than what we got. There was going to be a Bruce Wayne Batman cameo, tiny one in the movie, just to draw that audience in, obviously. But it was going to be more so about the character, more so about her background and everything. The, the original proposal was essentially uh, Catwoman, Selena Kyle, m- monologuing about her life in the psychiatrist's office, only to be revealed that it was just her sadistic way of robbing the place. And then oh, that she awesome. had, that she had, you know, the anti-hero had returned to a life of crime following the events of Batman Returns. However, as the story continues, we start to notice Catwoman is evidently upset with how her life turned out and that she's not living the normal life that she dreamed of. 
But then she is knocked out from an explosion, which erases Catwoman's qualities and memories out of her mind. Selina then moves back with her family to try to start normal life, which she presumably ends up doing, or ends up going wrong as her cat-like instincts start to return. It sounds freaking amazing. <laughs> it sounds really cool. And yeah, it's, it's lost in time. It was uh, proposed in 98, got turned down, and we got the Holly Berry one instead. My worry is that Hollywood wasn't ready for a female protagonist-led movie yeah. at that point in time yet. They would have made it sexy just like they did with the one that did actually happen. There would have been something that would have changed because men in Hollywood like boobs. Which is exactly and... why I'm so excited to talk about Jurassic Park because it came out in the same freaking year as this movie and I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> because of boobs? No, no. Be not getting too far into it. Ellie Sattler, Laura Dern, is the epitome. The absolute fucking epitome of a female role model in just anything at this time like she save did it, so much it, i know I, I need to i need to stop, talk about this in stop, length stop, save, i need save to talk it. about it in length <laughs> so yeah it's just i can't wait <laughs> exactly. to get to this point i cannot save wait <laughs> i'm so excited <laughs> but yeah i i do fear that it would have been the same thing because like when did barb wire come out with pamela anderson and stuff like that it's like this came out in 92 all that stuff was kind of like mid 90s late 90s schlock so Maybe, probably, who knows? It wasn't until like the early to yeah. mid 2000s where things started to kind of move around a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I would worry with the same thing probably. And even today, it's not great. No, you no. get <laughs> like the first Wonder Woman, which is good and solid and it's good female led movie. And then you end up with 84, which then turns into mm -hmm. women need a boyfriend. I refuse to watch 84 because I heard how bad it was compared to the original. It's, I loved the uh, original yeah, up until don't. the last 10 minutes. It's, it's that Snyder verse feeling. I loved the original up until you have this goofy ass arena fight on a, on an airport strip at the end of the movie. <laughs> everything up to that was absolutely a pleasure and then i heard the 84 was just so far off the walls just crazy that's just, because I, I have no the director got railroaded by the production company she wasn't allowed that to do any happens. of the things that she wanted to do with the wonder woman story the studio heads wouldn't let her do it that's my problem because everything is so baked and so tight i still to this day with how tight everything is production wise and how everything has to match all the bits and pieces that they preconceived. That, that wasn't. To be. It, how that the hell did Star that, Wars happen? But with Wonder Woman, it wasn't like she the 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 first Wonder Woman. She pulled all of this canonical stuff out of the comic yeah. books and made it a movie. And exactly, they they exactly. wouldn't let her do that. My wife was obsessed with the first one. Nicole loved Wonder Woman, the original, because I got her into the comics when they rebooted the New 52, and it was delving into, you know, her her ancient mythology and all that good stuff. And it's just, that was so freaking interesting. It was so cool to see where she came from and see that actually in the character. That brought into the first movie is one of the big selling points. So to hear that really makes me kind of disheartened to ever want to see the sequel, if that's the case. <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. Like I was saying, uh, it's 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 a wonder that so much goes into protecting these franchises and protecting the choices, and yet the travesty of the last three Star Wars movies happened, and I, I don't want to get too crazy about those, but holy crap. There's a reason. It's, it's just like Game of Thrones, almost. Yes, there are some fans, and yes, I do hear some people talk about the new Star Wars movies, but after the last one came out... <laughs> 
I have not heard a peep from a majority of people who I knew were diehard fans. Let's say of Star Wars because they're they're coming back out of the woodwork now. Hi, yeah, all the all the like the the mini movies that Disney's putting out now. I am so excited Don't fall for. Fall down that wormhole. They're going to <laughs> screw you. Well, they haven't yet. The we reason got... why the Mandalorian was good is because they didn't care. They Yo. knew that they screwed up so bad, so they let them do whatever they wanted. And they did what they needed like, to do. They, they went back to the source yeah. material. They went back to what made Star Wars special in the first place. Instead of making Star Wars Star Wars and shoving in and shoehorning a bunch of Star Wars stuff that you expect to make it Star Wars-y, they went back to the things that inspired George Lucas to make Star Wars. That's the big key takeaway. That's why Mandalorian feels special. That's why it feels like Force or A New Hope in you know all the original trilogy because it has that same DNA that propelled Lucas to create the story and characters to begin with. It has Star Wars elements because it's Star Wars, yes, but it's more of a western, like a sci-fi western, with all these other elements, all these things that Lucas liked and rolled into a story of his own. That's why the Mandalorian's a success. That's why for me, I like Book of Boba Fett. I'm about halfway through, but oh, is it hard to watch after watching The Mandalorian? <laughs> you have success with one thing after letting complete and full creative control happen, and then you take it away because you want to be able to control it, and that could that's Batman 1, Batman 2. I mean, say what you will about the success between the two movies, but just saying, same thing with that, same thing with Wonder Woman, same thing with the Star Wars movies. It's like, you give the creative control to somebody, let them do what they want to do. They make this thing that, hey, guess what? Everybody loves. Everybody thinks it's great and amazing. And then you rein it back in because you're scared to allow that same creative freedom because you want to just repeat the money-making process. Like, you have this thing. You made this thing. We have to keep this thing the same way forever now to keep milking it for as much as we can. That's not how it works. That's... That's one of the biggest things for me, and that's that's why I defend this movie so much, because yes, it has its detractions, yes, it has its detractors, there's people who don't see it in the same light I do, but it was different. It's completely different than Batman 89, it feels completely different from Batman Forever, it's oh. a different Batman movie. Batman Forever it's, is it's so bad. Different. It is! It is! <laughs> so, I, I don't know, I'll defend the shit out of this movie, because it really honestly, to me, feels like... It feels like something special because it feels like something that shouldn't exist, but it does. <laughs> I think I think what gets me with this one is that I was expecting a muted Burton with because that's what we got with the first one. Yeah, I could see that. And yep. now when I watch this one, it this is just full on Burton insanity. And <laughs> I like Burton. I I love Burton mm-hmm. movies, but sometimes he goes too hard. And and he goes too yeah Burton. he goes to Burton and it's just <laughs> you don't go for Burton not, you don't go full Burton <laughs> yeah never go for full Burton he does it too many times though yeah I mean we've seen the we've seen the ill effects of that you you go full Burton and you have stuff like you know Edward Scissorhands you have yeah, stuff Edward, like, Edward Scissorhands is good that no that's what I'm saying I'm I'm trying to defend this movie and say it's good oh so you go full Burton and you get crazy cool things like Batman Returns you get Edward Scissorhands you get Big Fish things like that Big Fish is not full Burton but one of of my yeah, favorite it's it's it's, it's a wonderfully <laughs> muted burton where you can definitely tell it's burton okay i'll agree with that it's such a good movie but then on the, the on alice in wonderland side, movies is full burton and it fucking that's sucks. exactly where i was Calm going down i was there. gonna say you get full burton and you get magic like this but then you go full burton and you see how it backfires you see the parallels between the two 
you see when Full Burton works and when it doesn't work, and Alice in Wonderland is like the absolute best example of when it cra- it crashes and burns. I like the colors. <laughs> <laughs> and that was part one of Batman Returns. Please like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, and share to help us grow this podcast. And next time will be part two of Batman Returns. So come back in two weeks when we rewind again.